Good morning, guys. All right, that was pretty good. I won't make you do it again. So as you guys may or may not be aware, my name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got bad news for you. James is not here today. What that means is we are currently missing the guy who does R when we dismiss the kids. So I need your help this morning, okay? When I say these kids are dismissed, I need you to give me your best pirate R, okay? Better than what I just did, please. All right. Kids, you are dismissed. Arr! That was pretty good, guys. Pretty good. <laughs> and yes, we do have a lot of young pirates. That's good. That's good. Well, as I said, my name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to be continuing our series in the book of James. And so we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, if you want to flip over there. Uh, we're going to have it up on the screen for you as well. We've got Bibles over here. If you don't have a copy, please grab one. That would, would love for that to be our gift to you. But we've got it on the screen. Use your phone. Use your Bible. You're good. Uh, as you guys are flipping over, I want to begin with telling you a story. Uh, growing up, uh, I loved spending time with my grandparents. They lived on a, a state park. Uh, my, da my grandpa was the uh, chief uh, park ranger. And I loved going to stay with them and spend the nights. It was always a lot of fun. That's where my love of baseball came, staying up late with Grandma and Grandpa, watching the Braves play. And, you know, you just got to hang out and have a good time, right? Because grandparents exist to spoil grandchildren. Amen. Those of you that are grandparents or have grandchildren, you know what's going on. So I loved hanging out over there. It was a lot of fun, great experience. One of the things I thought was probably the most fun was that I got to actually ride around with my Grandpa around the park uh, on a golf cart, right? I mean, what five-year-old doesn't love a golf cart? So we get to ride around the park every day, he goes check things out, we come back to the house for lunch, eat lunch with my grandma, lots of fun. Well, one particular day, we come back to the house for lunch, we roll up, we go in for lunch, and we come outside, and my grandpa says, oh, I forgot my walkie-talkie. And so he says, stay here, I'm running back in. And so as he's going in, I hop over into the driver's seat, right, like just to play around, he's like, hey, don't touch that, you're not driving, Okay. And so I'm sitting there, whatever, you know, he's inside, I'm here, I'm in charge, right? And he comes out, and I've got to give you some context here. This is where the stairs were, and this is where the golf cart is. And as he's coming out, I say, hey, Grandpa, I'll come get you. And his next words are, Walter, don't. And at that point, I've hit the accelerator for all I've got, and I've zoomed past the stairs right into the front quarter panel of his car. <laughs> Those might have been close to his words, Walter, don't, oh no. So needless to say that uh, even at five, I, I saw something in myself. I saw that I struggle to hear and listen, to hear and respond to the words that are said to me. And I don't think that's a problem that just I have. I think that you and I have that struggle to listen to words. Specifically, I believe that we struggle to listen to what the Word of God says. That you and I have a natural inclination to want to desire to do what we want to do, right? We have a natural desire that we want to just live our lives in our way. And when we get in confrontation with God's Word, when we read it, the intent of it is it shows us a different way to live. And so we naturally fight against that. We don't want to listen to it. And so as we look here at the book of James, we're going to see James really talk about hearing the Word of God and this is for free, I'm giving you everything we're talking about today, hearing the Word of God, applying the Word of God, and then doing the Word of God. If you're taking notes, make sure you write those down. Like, that is what we're covering today. And as we begin, I'll read the verse, first few verses, read the whole verses, and then we'll talk through it. Beginning of verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you guys would, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are grateful that we get to gather here today to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ coming into our lives. Father, I pray today that you would be honored that as I speak, it would not be my words, but it would be the words that you have intended for the people of God to hear. Lord, may you move in a mighty way so that we respond to the word that we apply it, and then we do it. Father, thank you for the grace you've shown us, and I pray that you allow us to understand these texts today. We thank you for all you've done for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So beginning with this idea that you and I struggle to listen to God's word, uh, we see here right in the book of James that as James begins in verse 19, he starts with this idea. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So to give you some context, I know you heard some of this last week, but we believe James is writing to the church that is scattered after the death of Stephen, okay? They have scattered, they've been sent out, they're being persecuted, and here in the midst of this, as James is writing this, he has heard of conflicts within the church, arguments, dissension, issues that they're having where they can't agree on things. And so James is writing to address that right off the bat. Now, I've got a question for you guys. I need you to be a little interactive with me. Uh, I just need you to do a show of hands, right? Raise your hand if you've ever been in an argument. Right? Yeah. So those of you that didn't raise your hands, you're either lying or you had an argument before you got here that's too soon to talk about. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to counsel you through both of those scenarios. So as we think about this, we have all been in arguments before. Okay? We know what that's like. And James is writing here telling the church this scattered, this is how you're to live in the midst of conflict. Conflict with the world, conflict with one another, that you're first going to hear the word of God, and this is how you're going to respond. Be quick to hear. Now, if you've been in an argument before, usually we're not so quick to hear, right? But usually we're listening just long enough so we can form a counter-argument. That the very idea of sitting and listening patiently to someone as they're railing through the things that we disagree with sounds pretty miserable, doesn't it? Yet that's the very thing that James is calling the church to do. That in the midst of conflict, we must be quick to hear. I'll take that a step further, and this is how we're actually going to apply it. Not only must I actually listen to what they're saying, but more importantly, I must believe 
that I could be wrong in this argument. I'm going to let you know that uh, we're going to step on each other's toes a little bit today. And my goal is not to step on your toes, it's to kick you in the shin and tell you to wake up. (laughs) Just so we're clear. But even in the midst of the argument, we must be willing to believe that we could be wrong and seek to see the best in the other person. We have to show grace there. Now, if you've ever been in conflict with someone, doesn't that just sound like the hardest thing you could ever have to do, right? To confess to yourself that I could be wrong here. I could be right, but I have to approach it as if this person is innocent. As we think of being quick to hear, that builds out how we're going to approach this conversation. We're going to start with that, and if we believe that, then we can go, oh, I can listen, right? Because I could be wrong. I need to hear what they're saying so I understand what's happening. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe it's not anybody's fault. We just need to figure out what the language is here. Whatever it may be, we must first be quick to hear. Now, he follows it up with two things we've got to be slow going towards, right? Slow to speak, slow to anger. Again, we've all been in conflict and arguments, right? And the last thing we want to be is slow to speak, right? We have to get our words in. We have to say what we think. We've got to make sure they know who we are and what we're saying. And what James is laying out here is you don't need to be quick to speak. You don't need to be quick to anger, Because both of those actions are seeking to justify yourself. What you are saying when you're quick to speak and quick to anger, you're saying, I don't trust the Lord God Almighty to vindicate me in the end. What you're saying is, I don't trust that God will work his will out in this moment, so I've got to fight for myself. I've got to prove that I'm right. I've got to show that I have this anger that is righteous, because it's what God would want. And the truth is, when we're quick to speak and quick to anger, we are saying we don't trust God to work this conflict out for his good and his glory. And so as we think about how we handle this tension, James is saying you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You've probably heard the saying, you've got two ears and one mouth, so do twice as much listening as you do talking. First of all, your grandparents said that, and I don't care who they are, they told that to you at one point. And second of all, it's actually probably pretty accurate for our lives. That we must listen to people. We must actually hear what it is they're saying and not just be forming counter-arguments. Now James continues and he says there's a warning here we've got to pay attention to in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So as he says that, he creates this tension there. That there's an anger of man that does not produce righteousness. And there's also, just an implied, an anger that is of God. Now let's talk about those two. Now we like to think that our anger is that of a righteous anger. An anger that is of God. You know, we're in conflict, we're in sin. We're great accusers when someone else messes up. But we're wonderful lawyers when we've sinned and made a mistake, right? And as we look at this, what we see is that that anger that is of God, okay... That is an anger that is anger against sin and the work of Satan in our lives. That is a righteous anger. That we're angry and we're willing to fight against sin in our lives. We're angry about what Satan is doing to our family, to our co-workers, to our city. And we're willing to fight to see that end. That is an anger that is of God. That is a righteous anger. An unrighteous anger, that is the anger of man, as James says, it does not produce the righteousness of God. And he's right. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. However, the anger of man does produce a certain type of righteousness, a self-righteousness. 
The anger of man seeks to vindicate myself, that I have to be right because I have worth and value, that I've got to be right here because if I'm not, then my very identity has been changed. I've got to win, right? I don't have to find a solution for everybody. I just have to win. That what it says is that I am the most important in this person in this conflict. And as we know, that that is not the case. That in the middle of conflict, there are two important people that are coming together against each other. And there's only one person they need to seek to honor, and that's God. And this anger that is of man, this self-righteousness, will not lead you to honor God, but to honor yourself. That if you show me someone who's self-righteous, I'll show you someone who thinks they don't need the redeeming work of the Savior. Now James has given us, this is how you're to behave. This is, how, this is a warning you must pay attention to. And he says in verse 20, Therefore, because of this warning, because this can happen, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So there's two parts of this. First, we've got to put away this filthiness and rampant wickedness. First, we have to put away our sin. We have to cast it away. We have to say, I am not worthy of the grace that God has shown me, and I need to repent of this sin in my life and look to Jesus, the one who can clean me, the one who can change me. Beyond that, we must put away this rampant wickedness. That means evil thoughts, the manipulative thoughts, thoughts of seeking out my own gain. That means we cast those aside and say, the only person who I'm looking out for in this conflict is God and God himself. That's the one that I want to fight for. I don't care if I'm right. I don't care if I'm wrong. I want to bring honor to God by how we interact in the midst of this. And we do that to do this next step. We receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This implanted word is the gospel, which is why it's able to save our souls. Now, this gospel is built out of the whole Bible, of course, but we see it specifically in verses like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and would not perish. Like That is the root of the gospel, that we are imperfect people, that we've sinned, we've made mistakes, we've fallen short of the glory of God, we've not lived up to our side of the standard. And because of that, we are separated from God. We are condemned for our own sins, our own actions. We needed someone to come in and make a sacrifice for us. And that someone's name was Jesus. That he came into the world as this helpless babe and grew up into this righteous, perfect man. He lived a perfect life and he took the cross to the hill. Let me say, he took the cross to the hill. He did not get hung upon the cross. He willingly took it up that hill. He took the cross to that hill and then he allowed himself to be hung upon that cross for an appointed time so that he could pay for the debt of you and I. That is, he could pay for your and my sin. And then, as if that's not enough, he willingly gave up his life. Remember, death didn't take this from him. No one could take it from him. He gave it up so that he could pay for the debt of our sins. And he went to the tomb to rise three days later as a victorious king, as a victorious lion who stepped out of the tomb and roared, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? That that is the implanted word that we trust that can save our souls. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And so James says, hear this, O church. 
trust in this gospel. Allow Christ to change your heart and change how you respond so that you stay away from this danger of self-righteousness. So you protect the unity of the body so that you look out for God's glory, not your own. Now, as he tells us how to hear the word, we must then do something with it. We have to apply the word, right? James is going to tell us here in verse 22 something we need to pay attention to. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James lays out that there are really two camps in this church. There are two camps in this room right now. That you are either a doer or you're a hearer. There's no in-between there. Let's talk about the doers. You are the person who hears the word of God. You apply it to your life to correct your life. And then you do it. You live it out. You actually go out and proclaim the good news. You serve, etc. Now we're going to come back to you. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you hanging. But I want to talk to the hearers. It says that there are two camps, hearers and doers. And of hearers it says, hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's get right to the bottom of it. If indeed you hear the word of God and do not seek to apply it to your life, you are lying to yourself. That if you hear the word of God and say, that's nice, that must be for someone else, you're lying to yourself. If you hear the word of God and say, I don't need to do anything about that, you're lying to yourself. If you hear the word of God and don't do anything with it, you're deceiving yourself. That if we believe that Isaiah 55 would tell us that the word of the Lord never goes out, null nor void, that it accomplishes the mission that it was sent out for, that every time you read this God-breathed word, it's supposed to change you. You're supposed to respond to it. Like that's our action when we hear the word of God. And James is warning us, do not be doers only. Why? Because there's danger here. Look in verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That what he's saying here is you look at yourself and you turn away and you forget what you were like. You forget what you saw. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I had to go back home for a funeral. Uh, my uncle passed away rather abruptly and had to go home for that. And as we were getting ready for that, you know, I told Kelly, hey, we've got to get ready for this. i got to get my dress shirts out, right? And as we pulled these out, I knew that I had not wore these shirts in a while, right? So we knew what we were setting ourselves up to. Just lead off of that. And as you can see, I am not a um, bean pole. Um, I was certainly built for comfort, not for speed. And as we put these shirts on, uh, I began to realize that um, perhaps the struggle had gotten a little too real. And some of them were rather, rather uh, tight. And my first response was, was to be upset. And Kelly's like, why are you yelling at me? And I was like, well, you did this to me, right? Like, that makes no sense. And she's like, I don't cook. And I'm like, well, I did it to myself. That's messed up. So I'm left there with going, okay, these shirts are, are too tight. Like, I've got to wear one of these. This is the best one. Like, it's fine. It's like 8 o'clock at night, and it's too late to go get another one, okay? So I'm going to deal with it. But what happened in that moment is that I saw that though I thought I was doing okay in terms of paying attention to my weight, what I realized was that I wasn't doing that great of a job. What I saw in that moment, I was confronted with my situation. I then had to say, well, I've got to do something about this, right? Like if I want to wear these shirts, if I want to fit in my clothes, like I need to change something. 
So I did the scariest thing you can do, which is walk into the bathroom and get on your scale, okay? And then I did the second scariest thing, which is I put that in my fitness pal. And then I've done the third scariest thing, which is keep track of your calories, okay? Now, here's the thing. Since I've done that, like, I've lost five pounds, okay? Yay me. I don't say that congratulate me, but if you want to give me a gift card to Starbucks so I can chug coffee to keep that metabolism rolling, that'd be great. <laughs> I bring that up because here's what that means for us. As James lays out 22 through 24, what he is telling us is that when we are confronted with the word, we have to then do something about it. When I was confronted with the reality that I had gained a little bit too much weight, I had a choice. I could pretend that it was fine, or I could do something. I'll even take that a step further, that I could do something right then and there. So the first thing I did is I hopped on the scale, and then I put that into my fitness pal, and then I started counting calories. We're not here to talk about your weight loss journey. We're here to talk about your journey with Christ. And in that same vein, when you hear the word of God, your response then must be to go, what do I do with this? You know, what does this say about me? You must listen to it and apply it. Now, there's benefits beyond just being a, a doer of the word and applying it in your life. In verse 25, James writes, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, there are benefits there as we think about acting on the Word of God, applying the Word of God. You see, what that tells us is that if indeed we apply the Word of God, we see our lives changed. That we see our hearts change. That there is a benefit there because we will be blessed, not by anything that we may be able to measure, but we are blessed because we know that God is working out His holiness in our life. That we are experiencing the process of sanctification, okay? Big word, let's break it down. What it means is becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. That, that is the process of sanctification. And when we hear the word of God and then apply it, we are able to be sanctified and made holy. If you're here and a follower of God, let me break it down for you. You want to be made more holy. <laughs> you want to be more like Jesus each and every day. And in this process of sanctification, it is hearing the word of God and applying it so that we may be changed. And James is telling us, don't be like a person who looks at it and then forgets it. Don't read your chapter today and then walk away not doing anything with it. That's why we push things like huddles and MCs and soaping. Because we want you to read the word and learn how to apply it and live it out. Just give me, I'm going to ask you something. Give me a show of hands. If you're in an MC... Or a huddle. Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Good number of you. So if your hand did not go up, raise your hands if you're an MC again. If your hand didn't go up, I want you to look around, make that awkward eye contact with someone, right? And I want you to go to them and say, I want to join your MC. Here's why I say that. If you're trying to hear and apply the word on your own, you're going to fail. We're going to be coming in to pick up the pieces of your life afterwards. Because in isolation, that is where Satan attacks us relentlessly. That is where our sin is put on display, and all we hear is the work of the accuser. You're not worthy. You cannot measure up to this. Who are you to think you can have a relationship with this God you claim to serve? 
But when we're together with a family who loves us, who sees what God is doing in us, they're able to say, that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. No, you are not worthy, but Christ made you worthy. You are not worthy to serve this God, this perfect holy God, but Christ made you worthy. The reason Satan comes at you and batters against your walls is not because he is trying to destroy you, because he fears you. He looks at you and he sees God dwelling inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside, and he is afraid of what you can do to his kingdom. And you don't have to be a pastor to be there. You don't have to be anything special. You have to be a believer for that to happen. That you become a follower of God and there's a target on your back and Satan's out to get you. And he will seek to destroy you and magnify every single sin in your life so that you fall away into isolation so that you can't be helped and rescued. So if you are here and you're not in an MC, if you're here and you're not in a huddle, my call to you today is to change that. That's going to help you apply the Word of God and become a doer of the Word of God. And it keeps you from living in isolation. Now, here's some pro tips for how we can apply the Word, right? Like you want something practical that you can take away right now and start doing. I'm going to give you what we do right now in our own sinful state, and then we're going to talk about what we need to do. How do we apply the Word of God? First and foremost, we just glance at ourselves. Like we read the Word of God and we look at ourselves like, okay, I saw me, that's fine. Don't. Read the Word of God and then look in the mirror and look at yourself and go, if the Word of God says this, where do I see that in my life? If the Word of God says that, where am I living that out? If the Word of God says that I am to be this, do I see it? Do others see it? Right? Like, we need to seek to apply it and evaluate ourselves. The Scriptures are a mirror to our own hearts. When we see ourselves in light of the Scripture, we see our true selves, and we know that we need a Redeemer to change us. Two, you forget what you see. We read the Word of God, and we look at the mirror, and then we go away, and we go about our day, and we don't hold it of high importance that God has revealed Himself through the Word. No, we must confront ourselves with the Scriptures and then remember that. Keep that on us day by day. Remembering the words of God, what He has said about us and who we're to be. That's why you've got verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. It's not that you're always praying, but God's Word is always upon your heart so that you're always reflecting upon what He has done in your life. That when you don't do that and you walk away and you forget what He has said, that's when you fall into sin and temptation, right? That's when you become weak and you stray away. And three, you fail to obey the Word. We fail to obey the Word. We read it. We hear it. We confront ourselves with it. And then we say, that's, that's good. My five-minute Bible study is over. I've got to go to work. No. That if that's what we're doing, then we're never going to see God's Spirit be born out in our lives and to become more like Christ. That we must obey the Word. That when we confront ourselves and our hearts with the Word of God, we then have to go, okay, God, that means this must change, and it's got to change now. So what do I need to do, Lord? What do I need to change? Who needs to hold me accountable? Where do I need to go? What do I need to say? That we have to then listen. And that leads us into the last part of what James has laid out for us. Here in verse 26, 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, remember earlier I said that, you know, I'm going to be kind of kicking you in his shins. Like, I want to make something very clear here. Um, the Bible tells us in many areas that what comes out of our mouth is flowing from our heart, right? The things we say, the things we do reflect the things we believe and want to act on. And what James is saying here is, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, their religion is worthless. What he's saying here is, if your words and actions do not reflect the heart and mind of Jesus, then you're not a follower of God. Like, let's just lay it out, that if all you're doing is doing the church thing and going to church and occasionally reading your Bible and praying, and your life isn't changing then it's very likely that you're not a follower of God. That if the Word of God comes into your life, it will leave you different. And if you're not changing, then that means you're not trying to follow this Jesus we serve. Now, as we think about that, that's kind of the push. What is changing in your life? I mean, you guys don't have to shout it out, right? But... Can you look at your life and say, if this is the moment that I said I was following Jesus, has my life been on an upward trajectory? Do I look more like Jesus today than I did at that moment? Because if the answer is yes, praise God for what he's doing in your life. It's an incredible thing. That is sanctification. If it doesn't and you were here and it's just been here and maybe done this, that's not sanctification. That's the work of Satan in your life. And the response for that today needs to be that you hear the word of God, hear the gospel that Christ has laid out for us, and that you apply it to your life by repenting of your sins, turning away from them and saying, I am a sinner broken and unclean, but there is a God who is perfect and righteous who has come to seek and save the lost. That though I am here and I am broken and I can go no further, this God will pick me up. He will bind my wounds. He will lift me up and put me in his place. That he will put these robes of righteousness on me so that I may live my life in such a way that people go, there is a change in your life. You are a different person. And friends, that change looks like verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, there are two things that really are born out in your life once you follow Jesus. First and foremost, uh, you quite literally care for the orphans and the widows. Yes, we take that text as it says that. But the, the bigger message that it's implying is that you care for the least of these. Those that can offer no value to yourself. That you sacrifice so that those who have no real meaning to you, who have no impact on your life, can see their lives be changed. You know, we see the orphans and the widows here. Can you think of anyone lower than that? Anyone who needs more help and service, more of the proclamation of the good news than that group. That it implies that we go for the least of these and we seek to serve them so that they may encounter the good news of Jesus. And then secondly, we seek to keep oneself unstained from the world. We fight for holiness in our lives. 
that we fight to see sanctification worked out in our lives so that we become more like Jesus each and every day. That that is the goal of the Christian life, that we would look day in and day out more like Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and as we think through the implications of this, really there are still two camps in here, right? You're still a hearer or you're still a doer. And if you're a doer, then praise God. Your response today is to say, Christ, you have saved me, you have changed my life, and you have called me to hear the word, to apply it, and then to do it. To go seek and find those who are far from God. To see you save them so that they may be brought into the family of God. Your response today is to praise God for that. That when we sing in this last song, you're to stand up and sing loud. Didn't say sing good, I just said sing loud, okay? But if you're in the other camp, if you're a hearer of the word, and you're not doing anything with it, your response looks a little different. Your response is to hear the word of God, hear the gospel that Jesus Christ came in this world as a perfect man, that he went to the cross willingly so that he could pay for our debt of sin, so that we could, through his death, burial, and resurrection, share in his eternal fate, that is, life eternal. And that comes through repenting of our sins and turning away from our evil works and our, our rampant wickedness and looking to Jesus and saying, I need a savior, savior and you're the one who can do it. That our response today, if you're a hearer, has to be, Jesus, I need you to change my life. That I need you to do, as this song we're going to sing says, build your life on the firm foundation, build your life on his love. Never take your trust away on that fact. Build your life on the firm foundation that is Jesus' love for you. That today you have an opportunity to respond to that. And you can do it in a number of ways. You can pray in your seat. When the band stands, asks you to stand up and sing, you can sit and pray. You can come speak to me. I'll be here in the back. Pastor David will be here as well. You can come talk to us and tell us what God's doing in your life. Maybe you're a believer and your step now is to actually live the word out, to apply and to do it. You're going to join an MC. I lead an MC. Chris leads an MC. Pastor David leads an MC. Any of us would love to get you plugged into our MCs. Maybe you need to be in a huddle. Come talk to me. Come talk to Chris. Come talk to Pastor David. We can help you get in a huddle, even if that means we huddle with you. It might be scary, right? Like, I like coffee, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to pay once in a blue moon, so you know. If you're huddling with me, you know that's coming, just so we're clear. Here's what you need to do. The choice is yours. But you can choose life, or you can choose death. Choosing life means I'm going to hear the word, I'm going to apply it and do it. Choosing death means I'm going to hear the word and walk away doing nothing. My call for you today, my begging plea for you is to choose life. Hear the word, apply it, and do it. If you want to learn more about how to do that, come talk to me. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray today for our hearts that we would respond to the good news of Jesus. That we could celebrate of your redeeming work in our lives. 
that some of us, this is the thousandth time we've praised you for this. For others, it will be the first time. Father, let us celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ came for the foremost of sinners, even I, and he came to seek and save me. And then that same cry is the same call for each and every man, woman, and child in this building today. That he came to seek and save those that were far from him. So change our hearts, Lord. Let us respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And let us build our life on this firm foundation. That is, on the love of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the good news of Christ. And I pray that you will bless us. I pray that our hearts are changed as we respond to you. We pray these things in your name.